0: The United Methodist People Podcast with Rev. Dr. Brad Miller. Episode number 12 with Rev. Jerry Raritan from the First United Methodist Church in Noblesville, Indiana creating a church that his children and grandchildren would want to go to. Hello, this is Bishop Julius
1: Trimble from the Indiana area. And you are connecting with the United Methodist People Podcast with Rev. Dr. Brad Miller, doing all the good we can. Welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Rev. Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello
0: again, my friend and colleague, Reverend Dr. Brad Miller here with the United Methodist People Podcast. I just want to thank you so much for joining me today as we continue to look to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And we do that on a regular basis to share some of the leaders in our church, some of the activities in our church, talk to some of our bishops in our church and see what's going on in United Methodist Church that can be helpful for strengthening the connection. We all know that we have our share of challenges in our United Methodist Church these days, but I still believe that we are under one umbrella of our Wesleyan heritage, and under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and what we can do together is still better than what we can do apart. We're going to talk about that today, some with uh, Jerry Reardon from First United Methodist Church in Noblesville, Indiana, but first of all, I wanted to share with you that there are connections that you can make to us here in the United Methodist People podcast that you may want to know about. You can always go to our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, and see back issues or back episodes of the, of the podcast featuring uh, uh, interviews with several of our United Methodist bishops, for instance. And oftentimes, we're asking them questions about the way forward and about the status of our accomplishing our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You can also get a free download there called the Wesleyan Way. It's a downloadable multimedia presentation that you can use in your ministry that also can sign you up for our United Methodist Podcast uh, newsletter where you can keep up with some of the events that we have going on. would also appreciate it, if you're of a mind, too, to uh, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Just go to the field there and look us up on iTunes, United Methodist people podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Muller. And if you can subscribe and rate and review, that helps other people find us. But we also would encourage you to go and share this with other folks in your network, social media and otherwise, who you think it might be helpful to. We love our United Methodist Church. We love the Lord and we love our church. And that's what this podcast is about. I'm a local United Methodist pastor. I've been an elder for over 35 years in suburban Indianapolis. And I've also been involved with Uh, radio and podcasting now for uh, a number of years and see this as a medium where we can share good news about our church and you know face honestly and forthrightly some of the challenges in our in our church but i wanted to share with you a bit of observation i have about the work of our church i'm speaking to you in september of 2018 and almost exactly a year ago this time hurricane maria uh, smashed Puerto Rico and several other islands, the Virgin Islands and the Caribbean. And I found myself in both the Virgin Islands and in Puerto Rico a couple of weeks ago, and I was able to observe some of the damage from the Hurricane Maria, but also some of the recovery that's taking place. And I was reminded when I did a little bit of research that UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief, has been there in Puerto Rico part with the recovery all this time this year and in the virgin islands as well i believe and they've entered phase two i understand which is more of the you know you have the disaster relief and then you have the recovery portion and united methodist community relief is all with all kinds of training and relief and so on that goes on and represents our united methodist church and our fundraising efforts are so helpful but it just so happened shortly after i left puerto rico is when hurricane florence hit north carolina and south carolina And the floods and the devastation has been incredible that our United Methodist Committee on Relief is there, too, in the immediate response. Now, they are there, and they're doing training and lifting up and and getting supplies to people and doing good stuff. And I just know that there's a lot of things in our church that are challenging right now. But one of the good things that we do do is provide disaster relief. And I know that uh, you're reading the websites and so on about UMCOR, they're doing great work in North Carolina and South Carolina right, right now, and they need uh, our, our assistance for the rest of our United Methodist Connection, which includes financial giving, of course, as well as volunteerism, and uh, as well as things like flood buckets, so supplies. And I hope that we can all respond accordingly. You can go to the UMCOR website, and uh, most of our annual conferences are having fundraising efforts as well. And I invite you to go there and be supportive of disaster relief our guest today is reverend jerry Raridan, first united methodist church in noblesville indiana why are we talking to jerry today we're talking to jerry because he is an organizer and a leader i've known jerry for a long time and i know that he had his uh, his heart has been moved and uh, to the to the point of taking action regarding what's going on in our, in our church right now, particularly as we look at the way forward, come to some sort of a, a resolution of some sort in February of 2019 at General Conference. And Jerry was moved to, to take some action. and He formed a group called Indiana Uniting Methodist, which is an advocacy group regarding one of the approaches to, to the way forward. Now, you know that basically there are three plans being brought to General Conference. There is the traditional plan, which is essentially upholding what the discipline says now, but even with some real uh, restrictive application of the discipline. And, and so there's the traditional plan, and there's the connection plan, which is based mainly on ideology. That plan depended on geography and many other factors. And then there's the one church plan, which is more of a broader church plan, which has room and a big tent for people to have different perspectives and still be faithful, particularly when it comes to the issue of human sexuality. Jerry Raridan is an advocate of the One Church Plan and has formed an advocacy group called Indiana United Methodist, and they are having a special event on October the 8th, 2018, at St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, of a special speaker, Mark Holland, from Mainstream UMC, another adv- advocacy group for the One Church Plan. And he'll be the special speaker there. And is looking to be an advocate for the One Church Plan. There's other advocacy groups, uh, Good News, Confessing Movement, so on, with, for the Traditional Plan. Many other groups are out there. And this is just part of the reality of our church right now. That's going on, and uh, I thought it would be good for to hear from Jerry here today, and as we go along in our United Methodist people podcast, to hear from people from all different perspectives on the way forward. So our guest today, and he's going to is Reverend Jerry Reardon from First United Methodist Church in Suburban Indianapolis, the town of Noblesville, Indiana. Here today on the podcast, it is our privilege and it's our special honor to have with us the lead pastor at the First United Methodist Church in Noblesville, Indiana. His name is Jerry Raritan. Jerry and I go back a long ways in ministry and life together and golfing buddies, but he is very involved these days with a very passion about being involved with this process of understanding what the the way forward is all about and getting involved with some of the aspects of that. And so we're pleased to have with us our guest today, Jerry and Jerry, welcome to United Methodist People.
2: Thank you, Brad. Good. It's good to be here.
0: Absolutely. absolutely. It's a privilege to have you here on the podcast. And Jerry, uh, I just know you to, you're pastor of a, uh, a rather large suburban church, but I also know that you've served churches in various sizes and communities, in the state of Indiana, and you've been involved with ministry of all sorts. And I would just be really interested in hearing and uh, a little bit about your faith story, how you came to know Christ in the first place, and a little bit about your ministry in the United Methodist Church. Just tell us a little bit about you.
2: Sure. Well, I uh, grew up in Plainfield, Indiana, just a western suburb of Indianapolis. Uh, I was born, baptized in the United Methodist Church. And uh, I found Christ through my youth group. We had a passionate youth minister who took prayer very seriously, invited us to join her with that, and I began to sense God's presence. It became very real to me and became involved in leadership within our youth group and eventually began to sense a a call, tried to decide whether I'd be a teacher, coach, and uh, eventually decided that ministry is the way God wanted me to go. So I've been on that call ever since my junior year in high school and went through college at Indiana University, also Indiana Central is where I graduated from, and then this Theological School.
0: Mm-hmm. So in growing up it just sounded like it's a real tribute to the ministry of your local church. You grew up in Plainfield to help you get you started on the track of uh, call to ministry.
2: Yeah very much so. Yeah. It was, uh, Plainfield Church was a very loving caring congregation. I, uh, I had a mother that was schizophrenic and uh, that created some special challenges and mm-hmm. our church just really surrounded us with love and acceptance and became my extended family so that probably influences how i i minister church uh as well the rest of my life yeah. as i try to make it an extended family
0: well tell us a about now about your ministry in the church tell us what about uh the places you've been and where you're at now and how god has used you in service to the united methodist church
2: well i started at two-point charge montgomery county very small Setting. Then I was spent six years on the west side of Indianapolis at Altersgate. Then I spent 16 years down in New Albany at one church and had a great time there. That's where my kids were raised. They all graduated from New Albany High School. And then I was at Bethel on the east side of Indianapolis. And now I've come here. I'm in my fourth year here at Noblesville First.
0: Well, tell us a bit what God's doing here at Noblesville first. What are some cool things that are, that are happening here that you're involved
2: with? Well, we did a visioning process immediately. We used the Frucault Congregations process, which was very successful at Old Bethel. helped us get going in a good direction. And so we began that here, and there was already many good things in place here. Uh, but we've really focused our ministry on becoming very connected with the community and ramping up our community partnerships. And probably one of the unique things is that we had the blessing in the 1980s when Mark Blazing was here of uh, being given a 120-acre farm about five miles north of town right on White River. So it's quite a resource. The intent then was to make it a retreat center. And it's never quite fully lived into that. And so Pastor Aaron Hobbs happened to be at the Wabash Leadership Institute and got to experience in Vancouver a ministry that was Algranic Farm. That was used for immigrants coming into canada and he came back with that idea and we got our heads together and figured out how we could put together a business plan and we've been converting that farm to the teeter organic farm and the goal is to be getting to a point that half of what we produce can be given away to local food pantries we're already gave away this year 120,000 uh helpings of food of this growing season and it uh, looks like we're going to break even uh, in that process, so it's been a three-year process, and that's pretty exciting. We've also been involved in the community. Our Noblesville Main Streets, a community organization that we funnel volunteers to. We just most recently helped cleaners start a new food bank, just a block away here at Ivy Tech. Um, and we've we've had twenty people, you know, every week out at the White River Elementary School. So just many many partnerships here. That's uh,
0: glad that that is awesome, on. especially that farm. That is uh, what a what a blessing to you, and then you're able to just translate into a blessing to other people in many ways. Does that produce revenue
2: as well? Uh, the main goal is to make it self-sustaining. I see. Uh, so they have a farmer's market here in Noblesville that okay. we sell in. We've uh, ramped up quite a bit our rentals. At the retreat center is still there, but now mm. that the farm's getting so much use, we're getting a lot more rentals. Uh, we do some special things like this coming Friday. We're having a um, farm-to-table dinner, fundraising dinner. So we've got a lot of new revenue sources To make it self-sustaining So we can continue to give away food
0: What a great what a great ministry It sounds like the ministry here is is Thriving in many ways and innovative In many ways and a part of What we say in our whole United Methodist Church Is that we are to Be all about our mission Of making disciples of Jesus Christ For the transformation of the world So it sounds like some world, Worldly transformation is taking place On a local level here and but I'd be interested in, Jerry, in kind of your take and your understanding of how we are doing as United Methodist Church as a whole and perhaps here more even more locally uh, here in Indiana, but how we are doing, give me an assessment or a grade, if you will, of how we are doing the United Methodist Church on accomplishing our mission.
2: Well, I think globally we're doing some great things, especially in the continent of Africa. It's quite amazing the way the church has grown there. I think uh, United Methodist Church was at the forefront of learning to, give mission over and let the indigenous people run things and uh, so i think that's been very productive and this state especially has been prominent with africa university nationally i i don't think we've been quite as productive i feel like the methodist churches always tend to lag behind other uh, more innovative churches especially independent churches Mm -hmm. that uh, are free to do on their own we seem to be Locked into tradition, sometimes to a fault that uh, causes us not to be open to do whatever it takes, whether it's worship styles or ministry styles. And so we've kind of been behind the times, it seems to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How have you seen that manifested in the terms of you say we're behind the times and kind of kind of uh, locked in tradition? Have you seen that manifested in some ways in, uh, in, uh, in churches or in communities?
2: Well, sometimes it's been music styles. I uh, see. You'll see some churches that quickly switch to the latest style of music, and uh, and they seem to be the ones that drew in the generation of people that <clears throat> we seem to be short on. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes with ministry styles, we, we just are focused more on the organization instead of uh, getting out there and uh, sharing that personal faith with people. Um, I think what... It's a statistic. Supposedly, it's got some validity that uh, United Methodists invites somebody to church every 38 years. <laughs> so, if there's any truth to that, well, which I could tend to believe, then yeah. uh, we've got. We've so got we're some okay if there. we can
0: add. Uh, you know, if, we're, or if our growth plan is over several centuries, we're okay. But I not guess so. uh, <laughs> sometimes we seem stuck in other centuries. Yeah. What are you seeing, or some just in your own experience, uh, observant? What are you? Have you seen any effective strategies to? to uh, speak against some of this lag behind that you're speaking up here?
2: Well, I think it takes vision. Um, we see pockets where pastors have, through good leadership, has inspired people to, to try new things. and
0: the Leadership's a real key, isn't it?
2: I think it is. It's, it seems to be everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and equipping those leaders going forward. You, you have to go into every local church today, I believe, seeing yourself as a change agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just... Society is changing so rapidly, and uh, by not keeping up with it, we've, we just keep losing out. And if you look at the statistics of the millennial generation, it's just frightening. And it's not just the Methodist Church, it's, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not just mainline congregations. It's, it's faith in general. Uh, part of the dilemma, I think, is we're seen as an institution, and people have lost faith in, in about all institutions. So we have to do everything we can, I think, to transform ourselves more into a movement. Mm-hmm. And be more free flowing and open
0: mm-hmm. well, you spoke there about uh, movement and leadership and transitions and challenges, and several things you mentioned there in your comments and here in our United Methodist Church, we certainly have our share of challenges and and the need for leadership and you are in leadership in the state of Indiana and the uh india the uh movement in our in the state of Indiana regarding um the way forward, the challenges we have in the United Methodist Church, what we are calling the way forward, which is has to do with uh, matters of human sexuality, and there's some other nuances to that too, but that's the primary issue. And uh, you've been leading an effort, and we were speaking now in September of 2018, and next month, on October 8th, there'll be an event that you're helping lead, which will speak about one of the aspects of the way forward, and. But I'd like, before we get into some of the specifics of that, I'd like for you to kind of, from your perspective, kind of de- define the issue. What is this thing, the way forward? What are we talking about here? What, what's this all about? I think everyone has their own take on it, and I'd like to hear your take a little bit at what you understand the issue is here at hand before we speak to some of the specific uh, things that you have to say.
2: Well, the way forward I saw as an opportunity at the last general conference to call halt to the fighting we've been fighting over the issue of human sexuality for 40 years Mm -hmm. and a call to try something different instead of just the political process that happens at general conference see if we can take more of a wesleyan approach of christian conferencing from what i can see it was put together with a quite a array of perspectives Uh, pat miller was from my previous congregation at old bethel i know where she stands as she led the uh, confessing movement you had uh progressives on there it seemed to be a very representative body of people and they put their heads together for at least 18 months and tried to come up with a proposal Uh, they came up really with two proposals my understanding the one church model and then the connectional model and then uh, some were not at least some of the bishops were not happy with those two proposals and so they quickly put together the traditionalist plan now so it's now a three-pronged option and um and my take on it is that the Connectional Plan doesn't have much hope for passing. It requires too many constitutional amendments that would require... It's quite complex. It's complex. It would take two-thirds of all annual conferences to prove all those, which seems very uh, unlikely. So it's really come down to a, a choice between the one-church model, which offers uh, contextualization, the opportunity for every local church, every conference, every pastor, to live this out in their own by their own conscience, or to... Go by the traditionalist plan, which even takes some steps backwards because the enforcement of it is so rigid that it's even causing some people that tend to favor that plan to have some concerns. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of come down to an either-or thing. That uh, so
0: you see it just kind of as a dichotomy, an either-or situation. It really
2: seems to be coming down. to mm-hmm. Unless uh, somehow there's some magic by this general conference can come up with some some new proposals. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, that's how it looks.
0: At this point, where are you coming down?
2: Well, I clearly came away feeling that the one church plan is the only viable option uh, i've always felt my calling as a pastor is to be creating a church that my children and my grandchildren would want to go to and it's clear if I talk to them or most people in their generation uh, they, they just don't understand the close mindedness towards lgbtq people and uh I see the one church model is not a radical step. It's a compromise. It's, it's a one step forward that says we're going to be more open to allow people to believe what they believe. We tend to approach Scripture differently. Um, and people who are very faithful, I, I'm very passionate about the Scriptures. They are my authority. I don't feel I've preached a sermon well unless it's dependent upon the Word of God. Uh, and yet, I see that when you put things in context, Uh, The Bible's not all that clear exactly on the issue of of human sexuality, and so I think allowing for some freedom does make sense. Mm
0: -hmm. What do you think is going on out in our United Methodist world regarding this right now? Just what's your take on it? I know you've been having some conversations with people around the country, and even uh, beyond our country's borders, you're having some contact with what's going on. What's your sense of sense of what is happening in our church right now? Are we on the edge of a schism, or do we have some hope here for some some uh, actual way forward? I'd just kind of like for you to just expand on this a little bit. Where do you think we're at right now and where do you think we're going?
2: Well, I've got a few thoughts. Uh, I, I've watched our retired Bishop Coyner, Michael Coiner's presentation on this, and he has an interesting take that he thinks that it's just as important how we approach this general conference as it is exactly how the vote goes mm-hmm. uh, and I think there's some credence to that I, I know I tend to be a moderate when it comes to this issue theologically mm-hmm. I've never pushed for the right to uh, marry persons that uh, are LBGTQ and I've got friends on both sides of the issue and I feel in covenant with them I, I can't imagine pushing for a split and just saying sorry you guys got to go your way no. um So I think there's some hope if we can continue and try to respect one another as best we can, allow and understand that you have the right to agree and disagree. And all the work we're trying to do with our Indiana delegates, we want to do with great respect and make sure that they know that we don't want this turned into a purely political process. It's us against them. Uh, But here's some information, and here's where we, we feel and we stand. We hope that you'll listen to it as best you can and then let your conscience be guided by the Holy Spirit when you get to General Conference. So mm-hmm. I think that's important uh, to keep in mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Next month, uh, you are having a gathering of folks who um here in Indiana, and you're bringing in a speaker from uh, Kansas, I believe. Is that right? What, Mark uh
2: Mark Holland, <coughs> Mark Mark Holland, Mark from, Holland.
0: from Kansas will be, our, be, our, uh, be a speaker at this event. And at this event, we'll be uh, – A bit of uh, an advocacy for the One Church Model is my understanding. But speak to me about what you see as the purpose of organizing uh, under the banner of the One Church Model and what you seek to accomplish by organizing and to uh, be in an advocacy group.
2: Well, there's quite a challenge. Um, If the African delegation does vote as a bloc, which is a possibility, although I'm hearing that it may not necessarily have to be, then it's going to require 75% of all national delegates in the United States to vote in favor of one plan or the other. So if there's any hope of the One Church plan being successful, there's got to be some work with other global delegations, delegates, in order for them to uh, hear this perspective and to see that it's possible for them to remain who they are, as they are, and yet still allow for some freedom Uh, because the United States has certainly made steps in recent years on this issue. Uh, So Reverend Mark Holland has a unique skill set he brings. He's been a United Methodist pastor for several years, has had the distinction of serving a local congregation while also being the mayor of Kansas City, Kansas. So he brings a lot of political savvy to this process, uh, and he knows what it takes. Uh, He knows what... Efforts have to be made with the delegations beyond the United States, and so he's trying to raise some funds to make that travel possible and to bring some people and also utilize all of the resources we have to at least communicate and get this information about the One Church Plan because his concern is they're not being shared the full story, that one, one wing of the church is, is pretty much pigeonholed this and it's either you're faithful or you're not on this issue. And the one church plan says it's possible to have a different perspective and still be faithful. And that really the plan means that for many congregations, nothing has to change. That because of the contextualization of this plan, uh, if your church doesn't have to deal with this issue, you don't have to bring it up. You're not forced to take a vote. Nobody's forced to do something that they don't have. You're not forced to take an LGBTQ pastor if that's not something you're open to. Uh, So it just allows that freedom. And we think it allows the freedom that allows us to stay under that, the same umbrella because I think together we're much stronger. Mm-hmm. We can do so much more for this world um, that tends to want to modulize the Christian faith to begin with.
0: I've heard it said the United Methodist Church, as we are, is, is a is a big tent, but this big tent is being kind of stretched a little bit in, in these days. Um,
2: well, I think it's even more than just the big tent. I think it's it's a matter of our witness. Mm-hmm. What does it say to the world that we can't figure out some way to move forward on this issue? Mm-hmm. If we can't agree on something that's fundamental for many of them, uh, how can we say that Jesus Christ makes a difference in this world?
0: I think it makes a a huge difference, as you shared that uh, in many ways this is not only a matter of um, deciding one way or another. It's a matter of how we deal with conflict, how -hmm. we deal with painful aspects of differences of opinion, not only of opinion, but also interpretation of scripture for instance and how we can do that in a loving caring uh, christian conferencing way um are we gonna be able to do
2: that Hmm. it's a good question all i know is at least from i in the work that i'm going to do and the work we're trying to inspire we're trying to be as respectful as we possibly can Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that i know would disagree with me on this particular issue but i love them dearly and i think they love me And uh, hopefully those kind of bonds will help us hold together. Mm -hmm. I know one of the things we decided at our gathering, our first gathering we had uh, for this United Methodist Indiana was that we're trying to think beyond this vote. And if we would happen to win this vote, we also want to do everything we can to say to those churches that feel like they they want to pull out that, no, we don't want you to. Let's, Let's figure out a way to work together on this. And whatever that means for us as an annual conference, to respect those differences and Mm -hmm. make sure that they can not feel continued pressure to keep moving on an issue that they're already against Uh, i'd I'd be certainly doing everything i can in that that way Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. yeah um it's going to be this is a matter oftentimes of uh of tone and attitude and approach trying to be approachable i believe and and how we how we approach it does make a make a huge difference. Do you have any sense in how the church is going to look like, though, after uh, let's say March of 2019? Just any sense at all? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I'm just your vibe.
2: Well, so much comes down to this vote. Mm-hmm. Although uh, Bishop Michael Coyner has said that we need to be prepared for the reality that we may not make any decision. Mm-hmm. Especially depending on what the judicial council comes down. Oh, yeah. But well, that ruling could require constitutional amendments, and maybe on all three plans, which then makes everything mm-hmm. much more complicated. So, um, and I know Reverend Mark Holland is also saying, let's look beyond this because General Conference 2020 could be just as important if something mm-hmm. isn't finally decided on this. Right. So we have to continue to work towards unity, and I know part of what Reverend Holland's trying to do is create a groundswell of unity mm-hmm. that. Uh, that's why he's chosen this name, Mainstream UMC, as right. the name for his movement. he believes there is a mainstream of people that uh, may have certain beliefs about the human mm-hmm. sexuality issue, but are open to say, let's live and let live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'd like to try to see that grow, and maybe that might begin to influence yeah. what happens in the future.
0: And that phrase, movement, I think is key there to to initiate the momentum. Hopefully they can develop a a movement in a way that is uh, productive and mm-hmm. sort of non-productive instead of uh, unproductive or destructive even we began our discussion though uh, Jerry about your own influence how the local church was a huge influence on you and you've been involved with the local church in your ministry in a very productive ministry and and lots of people coming to know Christ uh, uh, underneath your ministry and lots of productive programs you mentioned the farm and so on that's here I'm interested in how you feel though that the Process here or the, the Process of the way forward uh, How the decisions We make there, what do you think will be the Actual implications In the local churches, how is this Being played out in your local church And in other local churches, how is it going to Impact that actual Mission, you know, making disciples Of Jesus Christ with the transformation world, how is it going to Impact that
2: Well I think here at Noblesville you're gonna find the whole array of perspectives. We're a suburban but a highly educated area and so people know the facts about human sexuality. Um, I think if the one church plan can pass, I think most will feel that we can continue on and continue to reach new generations. If it doesn't pass, I think it, it just puts a it locks things down and says this is who we are and we're not changing, and that means there's a lot of our children and grandchildren who probably never even consider the United Methodist church because of our particular stance on this issue. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's at stake. Um, and as I've said, I, my calling is to create a church for my children, my grandchildren, and if that vote goes the wrong way, then I'm I'm afraid that that pretty much puts a a roadblock. Mm-hmm. For that that dream,
0: and that's sad if that would be the case. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have this decision before us, and and you you have an event coming up in in October to speak to that, and we'll see how things come come down. And there's a lot of this conversation which could be construed as you know kind of um, frustrating or, or upsetting, and yet we serve a great God, and Jesus Christ is all about resurrection and renewal and and opportunities and. Hope and vibrancy and love. I'd be interested in hearing what you see as signs of hope in the United Methodist Church. What can we drive out of this that can be hopeful?
2: Well, I think the United Methodist Church has a tremendous opportunity. When you read all that there is out there about the millennial generation and generations that's following, we are a church that has said that. Uh, we a broad church. John Wesley says unity in the essentials and freedom in the non-essentials. I think the, the theology of the United Methodist Church matches up very well with the generation we're trying to reach. So I, I see great hope there. We just have to break ourselves of the chains of the, um, the tyranny of the past in order to, to be able to take what is it at our core as United Methodists mm-hmm. and live it fully. When you look at what John Wesley did in England, uh, that tra- tra- kind of dramatic transformation, involvement in the community, and I see a lot of Methodist churches that are doing that. Uh, I think our Teeter Farm is a prime example, because mm-hmm. we're seeing more people that come first into faith, not through worship, but through service. Yeah, uh, we're going to share a story Sunday. It's Generosity Sunday. We've got someone who's very skeptical, uh, very skeptical of the faith, and uh, but she came because she wanted to make a difference, and so started working at Teeter Farm and. We happen to take our Thursday worship out there from time to time and so she joined in and, and now she's coming every week and she's reading the Bible, uh, mm-hmm. she's getting ready to take disciple Bible study. And it all started by pulling weeds.
0: Yeah. So. Isn't that awesome? And I think especially among younger generations, that's at least that's my observation, is as mm-hmm. you're sharing here, that 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 issue of service of the greater good.
2: They want to go and, to a place that's making a difference. That's
0: right, make a difference. Mm-hmm. Make an impact, make a difference, and it doesn't make any difference to a lot of folks whether it's a church or the YMCA or no. a, you know company, uh, you know a corporation or whatever it is to make a difference. And yet we know the ultimate difference is through Jesus Christ. And the idea does kind of a, a approach that is often, um, in some ways, opposite to what many of us grew up at. You know, just mm-hmm. to to offer worship and so on, and people come to faith that way. And so we live in a different world now, as, you, as you've mentioned, and means different strategies and different opportunities. One of the opportunities I've had uh, as of late is to be in some conversation with some young clergy and some young lay people in their 20s who are uh, uh, some lay people considering ministry. Uh, you're a seasoned pastor, and you've seen a lot of things that happen in the church and life and life of faith. And uh, now we're in this challenging position we've been talking about here. I'd be interested to hear what kind of uh, advice or encouragement or what kind of things you would share mm-hmm. with that young pastor, either just starting out or perhaps that young layperson, young man or woman who is considering uh, the vocation of ministry. What kinds of encouragement or words of advice would you give to that person?
2: the good news no matter what our challenges are and no matter what happens with this issue God will still be God Um, one of the most moving things for me every annual conference is when we have the service of ordination and the bishop at the end invites people down to the front who feel a call of ministry and I'm always moved Mm -hmm. there's always people going down Yeah, and it makes me remember my call and it tells me that somehow God will find a way and we just need to latch on to those places, those people, those movements that are doing that as authentically as we can. Mm-hmm. And God will continue to to speak and change and, and work with our world. Whether the institutional church gets on board or not, there will be somebody. And uh, when I look around, sometimes it's not always Christian. I, I've got a child that does a lot of running, and I've seen them go to marathons that are just fundraising efforts for particular social agencies that are doing incredible work mm-hmm. um, people will always go towards where they see that kind of movement taking place so,
1: God will be God
2: yeah he just it I love the way
0: you phrase it God will find a way in, in spite of our institutional situations I want to thank my friend Jerry Raritan so much for appearing as a guest here on the United Methodist People podcast, I think he was just a really great advocate for uh, his point of view, the One Church Plan, and putting together a network of folks who have similar thinking in the state of Indiana, and that is connecting with groups all around the world who have similar thinking, and they're looking to build a groundswell of unity uh, regarding the One Church Plan. And there's uh, lots of things going on in our church right now, but this is one of them. And one of the special events that they're having that we want to lift up is uh, Monday, October 8th, Uh, 2018, 7 o'clock Eastern Time at St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. There'll be a special event for the uh, Indiana United Methodist special speaker. It'll be Mark Holland from Mainstream UMC from Kansas City, Kansas. So I just want to share with you, let me give you just a few takeaways from our conversation with Jerry that I think are going to be important uh, for us to understand. Remember how he talked about how it was so important his local church was so important in forming his faith he had some you know challenges in the family and some other things things going on but a part of youth group and worship many many helpful people in his local church well helped formed him in his faith and then he went on then to uh, serving various levels of united methodist churches from multiple point charges to now larger suburban churches and certainly be involved with some unique ministries uh, lift up that the farm that the organic farm that their church has which helps provide uh, food for uh for food pantries and so on that's a great a great thing but here's what i want you to hear more than anything else about jerry he mentioned that he is all about creating a church that his children and grandchildren would want to go to and that's where he that his, that's his focus. And that's what I want you to hear more than anything else. And when he's is being organizing about the one church plan, he sees the one church plan as being the most viable plan that can be reaching people like his children and grandchildren. That the many folks in younger generations simply just don't understand closed-mindedness towards LGBTQ people. And it, he goes on to say that our biblical context is also a little bit unclear on matters of human sexuality. inasmuch as much as there can be many interpretations of the same scripture. We also talked about how we approach this way forward matters almost as much as the vote. In other words, can we be civil? Can we be considerate of one another? He considers himself a moderate person himself, but he can't imagine a a split that can happen. In other words, we have a right to agree to disagree, to have different perspectives but still be faithful and stay under the same umbrella. Be respectful even in disagreement. And so these are some of the things that he lifted up, which I think were pertinent and helpful to us. And he also talked about hope in the church, about hope in the church of people have been coming to faith oftentimes these days, not through worship, but through acts of service. And how we have to be mindful of how that changes the nature of the church and that God will still be God. And it helps him to remember his call when he sees other people come step forward, step into leadership in the church, even in these trying times. He said this, this was an important thing that he said. One of the last things he said is that God will find a way. God will find a way, even in spite of our institutional frailty. So, thank many thanks to Jerry Raridon for being with us here on the United Methodist People podcast. When we are so glad that you're with us here. You can always be in contact with me, Reverend Dr. Brad Muller, through the website unitedmethodistpodcast.com. That's where you can find back issues or back episodes. Of the United Methodist Podcast, including interviews with several bishops. I think you'll find it helpful and interesting. There's also a, a place to sign up for our newsletter and get a downloadable resource called the Wesleyan the Wesleyan Way. And uh, if you're of a mind too and be supportive of the United Methodist People Podcast, we'd appreciate you going over the iTunes and rating or subscribing to the podcast. And rating, give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it, and give us a review, just a line or two in the field there. That helps people find us. Most important thing that we can do, though, is share it in our network, your social media outlets, your friends and, and neighbors, other folks in, among the clergy and laity who love the United Methodist Church. We are part of one church and one family under the leadership of Jesus Christ and under the direction and, and understanding of uh, great leadership of, of John Wesley. And so it is what we're all about here on the United Methodist People podcast to strengthen the connection through conversation and commentary. We hope you'll join us next time here on the United Methodist People podcast as we live under the direction of our leader, Jesus Christ, and under the leadership of John Wesley, who said to continue
1: to do all the good you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People Podcast with Rev. Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People Podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. And always do all the good you can.